You're listening to the special from the Retail Exchange. In turbulent times, it's important to stay connected. Subscribe to the Retail Exchange podcast today. As well as exploring the big conversations in retail, you'll get a global perspective and hear in-depth interviews with some of retail's most inspirational people, all without leaving your home. So what are you waiting for? Visit theretailexchange.co.uk. The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. This is Dave Evans for The Retail Exchange in New York. Like everyone in the UK, many in the US and elsewhere around the world, I'm currently in lockdown, coming to you from my home studio here in Brooklyn, New York. The COVID-19 pandemic has already had a severe global health impact. The economic and more specifically the retail impact will take longer to become apparent. Here in the US, the response to the crisis in some states has been robust and wide-reaching, while in others, the effects are only just beginning to take hold. I'm here in New York State, and certainly we've been on lockdown for uh, a few weeks now. Uh, Where I am in Brooklyn, New York, an otherwise residential neighborhood is pretty quiet. But to share more insight on the latest situation as U.S. retailers come to terms with the new reality, I'm joined by Jordan Holman, retail reporter for Bloomberg. Jordan, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, Jordan, I know you're in Manhattan. Could you paint a picture for us of what it's like in Manhattan? Yeah, up here in Manhattan, it's extremely quiet. Department stores are closed. You have the apparel shops closed. Truly any non-essential business, as the state government has determined, is closed. So this is pretty unprecedented. You know, Manhattan is known for its shopping scene. And right now, all of that has gone quiet. Uh, One of the most staggering things must be the speed at which retail has gone dark in the U.S. and uh, here in New York as well. Uh, The wheels of consumerism are grinding to a halt. Yes, extremely so. So in March is when you really started to see large nationwide chains announcing that they were going to temporarily go dark for at least two weeks. Uh, My colleagues and I over at Bloomberg, we did the count. It is more than 47,000 stores right now in the U.S. are not open for business in their physical locations. And even some places like Victoria's Secret, TJ Maxx, and Marshalls, they even stopped their online operations. So customers looking to shop online with them right now can't. And so many experts have said they have never seen something like this. What are the statistics looking like? in a state-by-state comparison, or even a coast-to-coast here in the U.S., obviously, the the major coastal cities and states have had their shutdown earlier. The middle of the country is either catching up to us now or even maybe not so much yet. What are the stats looking like for retailers around the U.S.? That's a great question. So I mentioned this nationwide chain, so thinking of places like Macy's or Gap. What they did, they took the strategy of let's just close all of our stores, regardless if we have stores and places that currently aren't on lockdown. So that definitely affected the numbers in um, in states that the governors haven't locked down. But with the big ones goes the small ones. So then you've seen um, in California, if you have like your larger chain shut, shut down, that affects business for small businesses. Um, so what we're seeing is just a trickling effect of more and more businesses either having to close uh, by mandate or voluntarily just because the shopping environment isn't as vibrant as it used to be. 
Here in New York, we have a supermarket chain, Fairway, that was entering into, I believe it's third round of bankruptcy prior to this. But now with supermarkets seeing all the or the only foot traffic as far as retail goes, how could that situation change for a company like them? So what's been really interesting is the have and the have-nots in retail, and it always has been. But with the coronavirus outbreak, you're really starting to see uh, that gulf even widen. So the apparel shops, those are closed for business. They're physical locations for the most part. But grocery stores like Fairway are considered essential, and you just see people flocking to get groceries, um, to cook their food. So the, the places that uh, sell food and beverage they're actually doing very, very well. And you also think about the big box stores like a Walmart or Target. Their sales have gone out the roof just because they have the goods that people want right now. You're speaking to retailers. What are they saying about the impact? A lot of them don't have another blueprint to compare this to. These are truly uncharted waters. Um, with retail, it's always been interesting because you have the corporate office and then you have the stores. And what we're seeing now is you're making really tough decisions between keeping people safe at home, like medical professionals are urging, versus keeping your business going. And so you're seeing that um, that debate happen in Washington right now, but you're also seeing and hearing about that debate happening in boardrooms. Do we keep these stores open. And earlier this month, retailers tried to just scale back on their store hours, thinking that that was a viable strategy uh, to later say, actually, we're just going to close, you know, our hundreds of stores as we try to just wait out this pandemic. And so there's really tough decisions being made, um, especially because a lot of their workers are hourly. So they're the workers are the ones who are going to feel the huge brunt of, um, of this uncertainty. It's such a fluid situation and we don't know how long this will last. Um, by some estimates, you've got some world leaders saying hope to get things back online in a couple weeks, which to most of us sounds, uh, extremely ambitious. And then you have other countries that say, uh, we could be looking at things till the end of the year or for, you know, 18 months before a vaccine comes online. How are retailers coping with the idea of figuring out an exit strategy? It's really hard because the number one thing I hear uh, when talking to retailers and talking to workers who work in retail is that uncertainty. Everybody wishes that there was a deadline, a certain date when we could all say, okay, well, let's just hold out until then. But because there's not, you just don't know how much runway you have. So people are coping by trying to offer deals online to incentivize um, people stuck at home to shop more. But that's really hard because psychologically, you might not want to buy you know, a new dress over groceries or you might have just lost your job. So in addition to this economic toll, there's a, a real emotional, psychological toll happening with the virus outbreak. And I think for a situation like this, Every human is going through it, even retailers, even CEOs. So they're also trying to navigate, you know, that situation for themselves. So it's truly a day-by-day situation. We're seeing decisions, um, you know, the retailers who said, we're going to close for two weeks. We're seeing them say, actually, we're closed indefinitely just because we don't know right now. So if we were to use the light switch or faucet analogy, currently we are off. Other than those essential goods, we are off. What might it look like 
to try and flip that switch on to open the faucet again, what, what could that look like? I think it will be hard because so something like the coronavirus outbreak, the fix to it is to not be in large crowds or in public or not interacting face to face with too many people. And that is the heart and soul of shopping and retail in the U.S. So it is going to be very difficult to get people to feel comfortable doing that once all of this is over. Um so that that's going to be the biggest test. How do you ensure that someone feels comfortable coming back into a large department store or coming back into malls? Um, and that's the that's the going back to your analogy. That's the light that I don't think we've had to flip on, like at least in our lifetimes. So there's no blueprint and. I'm sure people will have to get very creative with that reassurance element. People now, you spoke earlier about online shops starting to shut their stores. That has been the reassurance for so many people is, oh, at least I know I can go online to order what I need. But between major stores um, that we expect to uh, be continuing online that are now shuttering to even obviously the largest, uh, Amazon, who has been slipping their ta- their shipping times on certain products that are considered non-essential to a month now in a time when we expect prime deliveries in a couple of days. Um, as they begin to curate what's essential and non-essential um, and these online stores begin to shutter, um, what is the home consumer going to be faced with as far as options? So uh, like you just mentioned, uh, the wait times for Amazon, which we have, uh, which the industry has like put on a pedestal, those have gotten longer. So that kind of just tells you the uh, pressure that, you know, a middling retailer is facing with trying to meet demand. Uh, A recent stat came out showing that, you know, two thirds of retailers who have had to close their stores have not seen um, online sales transfer over. So it's a mix. It's like, For the people who are shopping, and it's not clear how many Americans stuck at home are shopping, they can expect longer wait times. Um, They can expect maybe just uncertainty just about like what will be in stock. That's one thing. The supply chains have been disrupted to varying degrees. Uh, so So there's no real assurances, once again, just about how stable, um, the, this landscape will look like after going dark for so long. Obviously, this is a global issue. Supply chains are global now, different countries being affected in different ways long-term. Even if we were to switch the light switch on sooner than everyone expects, what are the long-term implications of those supply chain um, disruptions? So back in February, uh, retail CEOs during their earnings calls, they were reassuring investors that they have great relationships with their vendors overseas and that even um, because the coronavirus outbreak started in Asia, they were able to get a little bit insight of how to deal with it. As it continues to course through across the world, it's just unclear how um, strong those relationships could still be or just how you mitigate a situation where every country is going through this right now. So wishing like very encouraging signs out of China in terms of um, in terms of the outbreak there. A lot of factories have gone back online. There's consideration here to um, here in the U.S. to send some workers back to some factories to start making you know the the much needed medical supplies. So 
it's just not clear exactly um, what the supply chains will look like for the normal apparel outfits that we're getting, or even what inventory will look like if people aren't shopping. So those will all be considerations as we come out of it. What's inventory levels look like? Um, what does production and factories in the U.S. and abroad, what are the um, capacities? Obviously, you know, we're here still in our early-ish days of shutdown in the U.S., but we've been watching it happen uh, certainly in China for a little bit longer now. But even so early on and with so much of the news being doom and gloom currently, is there any sense of optimism for U.S. retail right now? I think the sense of optimism is that this is really going to be a test of their e-commerce operations. Retailers has, have spent years building up um, their online operations to make it as convenient as possible for shoppers to shop from home on their mobile phones. And because now that we're in a situation where in many cities and states across the U.S., that's our only option, this will be their test to see if it actually works. Um, this is probably not the situation that they built though that infrastructure for. Uh, that they had in mind, but maybe um, maybe just people adapting to the online shopping will increase at this time. Uh, time will only tell for that one, though. Jordan Holman, retail reporter for Bloomberg. Thank you so much for your insight and for joining us. Thanks for having me. To help compare and contrast situations between the UK and the US in more detail, I'm joined now by Neil Saunders, Managing Director of Global Data Retail, who joins us from Arizona. Neil, thanks so much for being with us. You're very welcome. Can you start by setting the scene where you are? Well, where I am in Arizona, things are unusual, I think, like they are across most of the world, but we're bearing up relatively well. We've had few cases compared to other states. It's in the US. But nevertheless, most of the shops, non-essential shops, are shut down. We have the usual situation with out-of-stocks in the supermarkets, despite the fact that many grocers are doing their very best to keep things stocked. And really, there's just a very subdued level of economic activity, especially on the retail front. You go out to a retail park or a mall where the parking lot is usually packed with cars and it's absolutely empty, and it's quite a shocking thing to see. But as I say, compared to some other states in the U.S., we're holding up relatively well. So, Neil, you have your finger on the pulse of both the U.S. and the U.K. Um, could you compare the panic buying that's happening in the U.S. compared to that in the U.K., and how are the retailers responding to that? Well, I think the, the, the situation is very similar across both countries. There are severe out of stocks in supermarkets for a lot of items, the things you would expect, toilet roll, paper products, tinned goods, some of the um, stock goods, store cupboard goods like pasta, those things are very much out of stock. I think what's interesting, though, is that we've seen in the US, and I've seen some evidence to suggest this is also the case in the UK, that although there is a bit of panic buying, people are not being completely unreasonable. They're not sort of going around with carts piled to the brim. Some people are. But most people, what they're doing is they're just buying a few items extra when they go, things that they wouldn't usually buy, like tinned goods or pasta, just to have in the store cupboard, just in case they have to self-isolate or we get stay-at-home orders executed. And of course, when lots of people buy something in small quantities over and above what they would usually do, 
it has an enormous impact on the supply chains for retailers and it's very difficult for them to keep up. So in the US, we do have, very similar to the UK, gaps still on shelves. They are being backfilled and most supermarkets are getting deliveries of products in, but they're going out of stock fairly quickly. So I think the situation across both markets is actually very, very similar. Um, one of the things that's held up very well, though, I think, in the US is fresh produce. I think that the, the produce sections, perhaps because people aren't buying it quite so much because it's perishable, perhaps because the supply chain is a lot closer in terms of a lot of products come out of California and the West is very strong. Um, in most US grocers, the produce is still very, very impressive. Um, it looks like in some places it's hardly been affected at all, even though consumers are clearly still buying it. So there's an interesting um, insight with that compared to some of the non-perishable goods. As parts of the world come back online, um, maybe less so now, but certainly it, it will be staggered the same way the effect was staggered across the world. Who do we look to for bellwethers on how things will start to unwind? Well, I think it's very difficult um, in terms of looking to Asia for these, these, these bellwethers. I think that countries like China and South Korea give you a great insight into the kind of epidemiological progression of the virus and what they've done in terms of locking the country down and really keeping the virus contained. But when you go to the retail impact, as I already mentioned, they're in a very different position to most Western markets because they're not overstored. They have a very strong rise in consumer numbers and of active consumers and consumer affluence is rising um, because of some of the kind of underlying economic and industrial changes in those countries. So they don't provide a very good indication because I suspect what's going to happen there is that they will bounce back reasonably quickly and retail will go back to more or less the state that it was in before with some disruptions and some changes. I think in the Western markets, it's much more a case that whilst we will probably come out of this crisis reasonably quickly, i.e. it's not something that's going to drag on for years and years like the economic downturn did in 2008 onward, um, the, the impact is potentially more severe because we are a much more mature economy in terms of retail and we were already seeing significant changes just as a result of underlying factors and uh, the rise of online and several other um, industry disruptions. So this is really going to exacerbate that. And I think that it just adds pressure on top of that. So at the moment, because although we're in slightly different positions on our infection curves for various markets, I think most of the Western markets have yet to emerge from this. So there's no example we can look to at the moment and say, ah, this is how it panned out there. Um, all we can do is wait until we start moving through the curve and start getting back to a period of normality, and then we can assess potentially what the, the impact might be. I think, though, th there are interesting differences. I think the US is in a much better position to cope with this crisis than a country like the UK, for example, for two main reasons. I th think the US economy was more robust going into this to start with, and I think the US economy probably will be more robust coming out of this, whereas the UK economy was OK, but it was a bit more sluggish. So there's much less headroom that you have to make up growth in the remaining months, remaining months of this year as we come out of this crisis. The second reason is that the UK is a very dense country. It's very concentrated. And really, although there are slight differences, most of the country is the same in terms of the progression of this virus. So the whole country has been shut down and 
it's on lockdown essentially so there's a massive impact across all all the country the us is a very big country and it's very geographically dispersed so what we're seeing is a much more patchwork approach and i think that means you'll have pockets of better retail and economic activity pockets of worse retail activity that will then switch around as different states and different regions have different infection curves but essentially there's some economic activity going on it's not that the whole country has been locked down and i think that's a it's not a great thing. There'll still be a lot of distress, but it's a much better position to be in than having the whole country locked down in, in one go. So I think that will definitely help growth going forwards. Lots of facts and data and incredible insight. Neil Saunders, Managing Director of Global Data Retail. Neil, thanks so much for joining us. You're very welcome. From Canada, we now welcome Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at Retail Insider, who joins me from Toronto to reflect on how the global pandemic is affecting retailers there. Craig, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So what's the situation like in Toronto? Oh, well, you know, it's, it's for, from a retailer standpoint, it's uh, chaotic internally. Uh, the streets are almost deserted, as they should be at this point. Uh, people are self-isolating. Uh, uh, it's very, very quiet. Uh, you know, there are very few retailers open, and the ones that are are typically are what they've deemed essential retail, which includes, you know, grocery, pharmacy, and a few other categories as well. What are the Canadian retailers you're talking to saying about the short-term impact on their business, physical store closures, uh, impact online operations, supply chain? There are so many concerns right now. Um, some landlords are still insisting on rent or are creating plans which ultimately will lead to that having to be paid if it's deferred. This is you know, a huge concern. Uh, a lot of retailers are still paying employees for at least a two-week period of time, if not longer, just depending what, you know, the retailer decides and can afford, I suppose. Um, so, you know, retailers are incurring costs while at the same time not, uh, you know, obviously seeing nearly the revenue that they uh, typically would have, again, except for those non-essential retailers, which may see more. Um, in terms of the supply chain, this has been really quite a challenging time because, you know, COVID-19 had affected China first, for the most part. We saw a lot of production shut down. And as we are really very much a global economy, uh, a lot of product that typically would have been shipped here from places like China, you know, it was really, really halted. So, uh, again, you know, the supply chain has been a challenge. And, and now I've talked to people, you know, that own warehouses that say, well, they're full because, you know, they've had to plan for this. Uh, they've gotten shipments in. And, and now it's really a mad rush to uh, get product to consumers because a lot of people now are ordering things online, including groceries as well. People don't want to necessarily go out. And as the infection rates go up, there's a tremendous paranoia amongst consumers, I guess, as well as retailers, which, uh, again, is creating the situation which really has an air of being chaotic to it. With the U.S.-Canada border now uh, closed, are Canadian retailers seeing any supply chain effects on goods coming in from the U.S.? That's a good question. Um, I haven't heard of much. Uh, my understanding is that shipments are still coming through. Um, you know, we haven't banned delivery people from coming over the border. Um, there were some issues for people getting over the border generally. We can thank President Trump for that. Um, you know, but uh, I'm not quite sure if that's an issue now. Uh, and that was more for individual travelers. Uh, you know, for the most part, I guess some shipments were uh, of issue as well. But uh, my understanding is that, you know, we certainly are still getting product into the country. I don't think that we're seeing a major issue in that respect. But uh, I think one of the bigger issues is, you know, Canada and the United States, I think, is much more... Um, you know, intertwined or related. Uh, you know, a lot of us have family over the United States. I used to live in the United States. You know, it's it's not uncommon for us to travel over the border quite regularly. And uh, that has been halted. And I don't know when that 
will reopen. Um, you know, I don't know when Canada's going to open its borders again to the world. Uh, already, you know, there is concern that perhaps some countries aren't taking the necessary steps to, uh, you know, try to get COVID-19 under control. So this is really hitting our tourism. Uh, uh, remains to be seen what the U.S. government will do in terms of uh, trying to, quote-unquote, get back to business. Uh, if that does happen and if, uh, you know, infection numbers continue to go across the country. Right now, New York City is an epicenter, which I think is terrifying. Uh, I don't know when Canada would open its borders up to U.S. travelers. And we really, really do rely on, you know, people visiting from the United States to spend in our stores and restaurants and other businesses. So this is really going to hit, you know, Canada quite hard, I think, economically, even just from, say, a tourism and visitor standpoint. As we look to, you know, the eventual success of unwinding this and uh, essentially restarting the economy and retail, what do you think that looks like? Oh my goodness, good question. I'm not sure if this, if the world will ever be quite the same. Well, it won't. Um, eventually, I mean, best case scenario, you know, we're able to get out again safely, socialize, uh, uh, you know, the social distancing is, is finished. I, I think that as we increasingly spend time indoors and as we continue to receive messaging that, you know, human contact is potentially at risk, I, I do think that longer term, consumers are going to have that ingrained in their psyche. Um, this is an emotional time. People's, uh, uh, you know, people are on edge in some respects. And when something really gets to the emotions of the consumer, it can really create, you know, it's sort of a psychology thing. It may take a long time for people to be comfortable to be hanging around each other again. Um, this could really pose a major challenge for physical retailers because in Canada, online shopping or e-commerce, as we call it, uh, uh, it represents less than 10% of uh, retail sales in Canada at the moment. For restaurants, it's you know almost nothing unless they're doing delivery through one of the delivery companies. But typically, you go to a restaurant, you sit down, and you eat. So um, longer term, even in the best-case scenario, I mean, I think that we're going to see decreased retail sales in stores for a long time. Uh, restaurants, same thing. Um, and, and that's for those businesses that are open. I think that we're going to see a substantial number of businesses in this country go bankrupt because of this. Uh, I know that we have government support. Uh, uh, even if consumers are able to come back out and spend, uh, you know, retailers and restaurants don't often have the cash reserves to, you know, live off of very few sales. You know, they, they need revenue. They need a cash injection. And if they're not getting it, eventually, you know, they're going to have to file for bankruptcy. And so, you know, with Retail Insider, I, I'm forecasting that we'll be reporting, unfortunately, you know, in months ahead of the absolute bankruptcies of various companies and that, you know, many of them will fall. And, you know, strong ones can remain operational. But uh, it remains to be seen, like, you know, Victoria's Secret was already in a precarious position. Pier One, a furniture retailer, and these are American, but, you know, they, you know, had operations in Canada Quite a few companies had already been struggling, and then smaller independent retailers as well. You know, the mom and pops. Uh, uh, we could see a colossal fall of uh, of retail, which is going to result in you know vacant storefronts, uh, um, mass job losses, uh, entrepreneurs who uh, no longer have their businesses, which is kind of a job loss as well. Uh, this is going to be uh, really transformative to the economy, uh, and not in a good way. Uh, I do think that we are going to see innovation moving forward. Uh, you know, we've got some very smart entrepreneurs. I think that will come up with the ideas, be able to uh, roll with the situation and be able to find a niche. But not everyone's going to be able to do that. We've got uh, an older generation that may be a bit set in their ways and, uh, you know, may not be able to pivot from uh, the situation. Uh, you know, this is kind of becoming... 
uh, our generation's Great Depression. And uh, if that continues, I think that, you know, as we come out of this at some point, we're going to see a very different environment here. And, and that's probably the case for around the world. But, you know, I can certainly speak to what we're seeing in Canada and what we're forecasting. And um, it's going to really take a lot to um, get back on our feet, I think, after this. Uh, and I don't think that it's going to end anytime soon. One final question, Craig. Do you think competition laws should be relaxed right now and that there's possibly merit for retailers to work together to come up with solutions for the greater good of the industry? Good question. I mean, I see more competition laws being broken right now, <laughs> I mean, at least in, uh, in Canada. Um, you know, can retailers band together? Probably to a degree. Um, I, I think that we are seeing that already. Um, you know, Canada is actually quite a cooperative company. You know, like CEOs of different companies will be friends and, you know, it's not like everyone's being protectionist and whatnot. But, uh, um, you know, I think that in terms of the Competition Act and, uh, you know, what might be a concern, you know, under that legislation uh, would be if, say, you know, Loblaw, which already owns a lot of retailers in Canada, were to start snapping up the other ones as well. Well, it wouldn't be allowed. I mean, when Loblaws took over Shoppers Drug Mart, they already had to close um, some locations or, or give them over to other chains. It was just they found that the company would be too big. Um, they even had to kibosh a uh, concept that they were coming out with that I reported on, a new uh, health food concept. They were just like, well, no, you can't own too much retail. It's it's a rule here. You can't, uh, uh, you know, basically they're trying to stop monopolies from happening. So um, I suppose that, you know, under Canadian law, you know, as per the Competition Act, you, uh, uh, you know, retailers can't really form, say, a monopoly, and uh, nor can pricing be specifically, you know, misleading. Um, one shocking thing that I saw is one grocery, we have a high-end grocery chain here. They're advertising Lysol wipes for $29.99, wow. uh, which even in American dollars is a lot of money. <laughs> it's like about $23 or $24. Right. This is a time of, uh, uh, you know, in our generation, an unprecedented, uh, you know, catastrophe from, you know, a personal and economic standpoint. Well, Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at Retail Insider, thanks for taking the time today and giving us some Canadian insight. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This has been Dave Evans for the Retail Exchange in the U.S. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. Stay up to date with new podcast episodes by subscribing online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening.